Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and still less ukulele. In this episode, we continue to try and track down the elusive non-IPA styles and look at one of many beer aficionados' first loves, brown ale. This talk was recorded live at a Maltos Falcons meeting with Denny and I talking the various brown ales of the UK, the Commonwealth, and the US, while also tasting Russian River's Janet's Brown Ale. Whether or not some of these styles and examples, like Newcastle, have stylistic validity, historical validity, or just strange validity, they're all tasty beers, and we talk you through how to make them. But first, a message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, a group of more than 40,000 individuals from more than 70 countries who share a passion for brewing and enjoying great beer. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.org. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring artisan malt house Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout. Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. So welcome everybody to another uh, monthly meeting. Again, we're COVID, COVID-related uh, distancing, but we're still meeting together to talk about some things. And today I figured since the club had gone and bought some uh, Janet's Brown Ale for everybody, that we would talk about brown ales. So just uh, um, so join us is uh, my good buddy and partner in crime, Denny. Denny, why don't you say hi to everybody? Yeah, so if you don't know, Denny has a bad habit of entering everybody's uh, Zoom meetings with some different musician's name. I think what you've been, you've been Frank Zappa, Tiny Tim, Jim Morrison. That, yep, that. So, all right. Um, 
this is the beer that we're going to be splitting today. We're going to have this in just a little bit. So if you haven't cracked it open, uh, you don't have to yet. Because uh, we're going to do some things first before we get there. Uh, but this is uh, Janet's Brown Ale as done by Russian River Brewing Company. And we will talk about this beer uh, in a bit. But first, a word about Mike. Uh, Mike was a, a longtime uh, home brewer, a longtime advocate for home brewing, uh, talked a lot about home brewing to various people in various places as much as he could, and always gave a lot of support, you know, even though he was one of the co-hosts on the Brewing Network. And, you know, some people let that sort of thing go to their head. He never really did. I always thought it was fun when I was hanging out with Mike. He'd always have this this incredulous look on his face of like, can you believe this? You know, isn't this, isn't this uh, bizarre? Um, but he, he talked a lot about homebrewing and he had the credentials to back it up. He won the Sam Adams long shot competition and had his beer go out into the world. And if I remember correctly, he won for a plenty of the elder clone. <laughs> and so Sam Adams actually brewed a plenty of the elder, uh, he also won our Mayfair twice in 2005, 2006, because he and uh, Jamil Zanishev were kind of turning into a bit of a competition to see who could win it more often. Uh, Jamil ended up topping him with three. Um, the beer that we're going to have today, Janet's Brown, was a beer that he brewed uh, in honor of his wife, Janet, and it has been brewed multiple times commercially, uh, almost endlessly now, I think. Uh, there's probably some place in the U.S. where you can always go and find a Janet's Brown. Uh, Danny, you got any thoughts on Mike? You know, I didn't, I didn't know Mike super well, but to me, it says a lot about him that in spite of the fact that I didn't know him super well, when we were hanging together, it, it felt like I did. Brown ale through the ages. Remember my first law of beer history is it's not history. It's bad stories told by drunk people to other drunk people. The second law of beer history is also that styles, as we think of them, are a modern thing. Uh, they did not really exist until you get like Michael Jackson really trying to put a codification around what a beer style was. Before then, everybody just had names for beers. And part of that is you see this reflected in history. Beer really mostly being organized by a sense of city and color. So if you go back and you look at a lot of, a lot of the old documentation that's out there, they'll talk about, hey, you know, this was the beer from Leipzig. This was the beer from Berlin. This was the beer from Burton. And, and you know, oh, that's a red beer from uh, from Burton or a brown beer. So a lot of times there wasn't really so much this notion of how we tend to think of things as like, oh, that's a bitter beer. That's a mild. That's a, a IPA. It was more city in color, right, or region in color. So you had things like white and red and brown. And then eventually when black patent malt gets invented, then you start to see actually really dark black beers. This is just the warning that over the course of time and over the course of history, there have been many, many, many brown ales or brown beers of different varieties. I would say that even under singular brewing traditions, like today, we're mostly going to look at both British and American brewing traditions. And at least in the craft beer world, there's a lot of relation between the two. Even in sort of singular traditions, you'll see those names applied again to disparate styles of beer. For instance, there's the classic example of brown porter. Uh, how does brown porter relate to brown ales? Poorly. Uh, you know, a lot of people have tried to make a tie between the idea of, oh, well, you know, brown ale becomes, or brown porter becomes a brown ale. That doesn't seem to be backed up uh, in particular. So just because the style has the word brown in it doesn't mean that it's related to brown ales. As I said today, we're going to focus primarily on British and Commonwealth practices along with the American extension to that. 
Because after all, that's, I think, again, where most of our thoughts about brown ale fall into. So that means that we're not talking about, say, uh, Oudbrun from uh, from Belgium. We're not going to talk about any of the brown beers out of Germany, right? So no alt or anything like that. This is all strictly about uh, British Commonwealth in America. I think it's fair to say, at least amongst the elders of us who are in this hobby, that beers like Newcastle Brown and Sam Smith Nut Brown really were almost gateway beer styles, gateway drugs into this whole thing. Um, Denny, what about you? I mean, like brown ale there early on for you? Um, well, not until I had already started home brewing. I don't think, well, that's not true. I, I drank Pete's for quite a while before I started brewing. Uh, I was kind of ubiquitous around here. Uh, when I started home brewing, I tried Newcastle Brown a couple times and didn't really do it for me. So I set about, uh, making my own. You know, at least here when I was living, when I first moved here to LA, you know, things like Sam Smith and, and Newcastle Brown, those are a lot of times where you go into a bar that had, a bigger beer selection than just Bud Miller Coors, those were some of the beers that you would find, and they were interesting. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, good. I'll, I'll have a, one of those Sam Smiths, or uh, even a lot of nightclubs were used to stock Newcastle, you know, and those were kind of a thing. You know, it was just something to drink that was different flavored. If they didn't have Sam Adams or Pete's, uh, you know, for instance, those were good choices that you had, particularly if you didn't want to walk around with a pint of Guinness and have everybody look at you funny. And when I, when I was coming up, and I think really until about say about 2006, it seemed like every brew pub and brewery had at least one brown ale. You know, as part of that lineup that we always talk about, you know, if you were going to be a brewery back in the day, you had a blonde ale or a Kolsch, a wheat beer, a porter, a pale ale, and uh, a lot of times a brown or, or, you know, and then eventually an IPA and then eventually IPA took over everything. Um, and you can still see some of this reflected. This list that I have here in the in the slides is actually sort of what I kind of consider to be some of the older school ones, right? So Dogfish Head Indian Brown, which is very quintessentially American, but with a very large hop presence to it. Um, that's still around. Uh, Moose Rule, which is arguably one of the simultaneously funniest and grossest names in uh, in the brewing world. <laughs> Uh, that's still around. That's that's still out there as a classic American brown ale. Uh, Rogue's hazelnut brown ale. You know our good buddy John Mayer. Yeah, he. Uh, that's a that's still a very world class beer from Rogue. And we'll talk a little bit about how they get the hazelnut in there in a minute. Um, and then Denny previously mentioned Pete's Wicked Ale. Pete's Wicked Ale to me is like the classic example of of what happens when craft beer gets successful and then gets bought by somebody big, at least back in the old days. Cause you'll remember Pete, he was, he started as a homebrewer, uh, Pete Slossberg. He started as a homebrewer. He came, came up with a recipe for Pete's wicked uh, ale and started selling it, but he was doing it as a contract brew. And I think if I remember correctly, what he was doing, uh, what new, new shell at one point, And I think eventually Miller and then, they got uh, he he sold the brand to Miller, and at the time it was like the second biggest craft beer in terms of sales. And then he sold to Miller, yep. and within five years, the brand was gone. But I remember drinking a lot of Pete's when I was in college. Yeah, and, and I drank a lot of Pete's back back in the eighties and nineties, and that's probably before you were in college. No, no, I was in college in the nineties. I uh, went to college 92 to 96 during the first craft beer bubble. 
<laughs> so now to me, it's, these are these beers are hard to find nowadays. Um, you know, aside from these examples that I've listed here, it seems like the modern craft brown ale has sort of upped and vanished. This is what I kind of tend to think about as the nature of British and American browns, uh, a malt forward focus, but not gloppy, not thick. It shouldn't be, it, it shouldn't feel like you have a coating of brown sugar or caramel on your tongue, right? When the beer's done, you want toffee, nutty aromas, even though these use roast a lot of times to get the color in them, you really don't want a roast character to them because it's not a porter. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I know there's a brown porter style, but this isn't it. Fruity esters are common in a lot of these, uh, because I think it does play off very well against that caramel to- toffee note. And the hop levels do uh, differ wildly with the usual sort of split on, uh, the UK and the US, where here in America, we've pretty much always been like, you know what? Sounds like a great idea. Some more hops. Uh, Denny, would you, uh, would you add anything else into the nature of, uh, of brown ale? No, uh, I think that, I mean, you know, in general, I think that they're going to have, say, less body than a porter, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, other than that, you know, they could they could be mistaken for each other in some cases. Yeah, I think if you get on the darker and lighter edges, but I think in general, if you're in the middle, yep. you're going to see some differences. Yep. So just a, a real qu- a quick defense of brown ales uh, in this day and age where we have all basically hops and pills malt. Uh, the brown ales do seem almost uh, old-fashioned and fuddy-duddy-like. They're very much like the uh, the Denny Cons of beer. <laughs> Thanks. No, you're welcome. I will say that, well, for years, what I've always argued with, with craft beer is if you're trying to introduce people to the idea that, hey, beer can have a lot of different flavors. Beer doesn't does mean uh, pale, yellow, and, or uh, even these days now, super bitter. I've always argued that porters and brown ales and stouts are actually a really good way to introduce people into into better beer flavors because they approach things from a different perspective. They approach things from, say, that coffee angle. Um, and where a hazy IPA tries to seduce you with sort of that, that juiciness factor, I think brown ales are kind of more of like a warm hug, right? That, that nice warm malt character. But again, without being overpowering. This is a, a good hug of friendship, not the uncomfortable 15-second hug of, what are you doing, man? Brown ales play well with a lot of different flavors. We mentioned the Rogue's Hazelnut Brown. Uh, Denny, can you talk about the Hazelnut Brown? Sure. God, I wish I had that recipe in front of me here. Um, for my for the first book that I worked on, uh, craft beer for the home brewer, I managed, I got uh, John Meyer to give me the recipe for uh, Rogue's Hazelnut Brown, uh, and it, it seemed like it's got some unusual malt in it someplace. Uh, at any rate, the the hazelnut part of it comes from extract. And every time I see somebody online wanting to know how to use nuts in a beer, and I say to them, no, 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 use extract, not the nuts, they uh, they freak out and insist that, no, they want to use the nuts. And my reply is always, you know, Rogue has won a lot of uh, awards for their hazelnut brown ale. They use an extract. They use a very specific extract that comes from a place in Chicago called Northwest. Uh, apparently, they looked at a lot of different ones, and that was uh, their favorite, the best one they could find. Um, I, I do know, uh, I'll tell you this trick. If you want to create a company and contact Northwest, they will ship you a sample. But otherwise, you have to buy it 50 gallons at a time. Well, that sounds practical. The, the club should be able to do 50 gallons of extract in no time. Yeah, ah! yeah good idea. Good idea. I, I will also argue, I think that, Brown ales make a really good sort of palate cleanser 
because they sort of neutralize the hops. And so if you're in the middle of drinking your your Citra Galaxy, Galaxy Mosaic IPA, consider having a glass of brown ale or at least a sample of brown ale in between before you get to that Mosaic Citra Galaxy IPA. So let's go and look at the uh, English styles or the British styles uh, of brown ale. Now, again, just as a warning, different categories of beer, a lot of different regional differences over different periods of time in the UK as the brewing industry, different practices and different needs, largely driven by war and taxes and rationing. I will also highly recommend that you go read Ron Pattinson's blog, uh, Shut Up About Barkley Perkins, uh, because he just went on a tear about regional brown ales back in the spring. So if you want to go and read from a historical perspective about brown ales, I would highly recommend that you go uh, read Shut Up About Barclay Perkins. He's got a lot of uh, brewing information stored up out there. Now, there is one style that is not in the BGCP guidelines, or actually it is. Sorry, it's under historical. Uh, and this is one that I don't think any of us here in the club or any of us here in the States have ever had, which is London Brown Ale. And London Brown Ale... It's a sweet and fairly low alcohol uh, beer, has a very low OG, maximum of about 1032, which is what some of your all second runnings uh, end up at. Uh, it has also a very high final gravity of about uh, 1014, right? So it's only like two, two and a half to three percent alcohol. So somewhere in that, that range, uh, the most famous one is the one that I have here on the right, uh, which is Man's Brown Ale. Uh, from London, although I think now it's produced outside of London. Uh, and it's been passed around like a lot of British brands to different breweries over time. And that one comes in, I think it's at 2.7, 2.8. Uh, it's the best-selling London brown, and even then it's not selling that much. It's a fairly rare style. Moving on, uh, Dark Mild. Y'all will know me. You know Dark Mild is my favorite thing in the world to to have during a day. I would argue that the mild is one of the two staple styles of the UK for at least the first half of the 20th century, uh, that and the bitters or pale ales. It's seen a slow decline since the 1960s. Camera has been doing work for years to try and make a May and a mild month to sort of resurrect the idea. But again, going back to that, that term uh, uh, that, that I used earlier, Mild has for years kind of been considered to be an old man's beer, a fuddy-duddy beer, a you know a beer that you have to wear a flat cap while you're while you're drinking it, right? We'll also note that the term mild has shifted over time, so what we consider to be a mild today has a different connotation than what you might read about in the past, and so some people will get very pedantic about, well, mild doesn't have to be low alcohol. Yes, you're right. If you're looking at it from a historical perspective, it doesn't. Modern day milds, since at least you know the first world war period are relatively low gravity, uh, relatively low alcohol. So I would say maximum uh, OG for a modern mild is going to be about 1038. You did see it drift up after the World War II period up to about 1049 or so. But uh, these days, it's all below 1038, somewhere between 3 to 3.8% ABV, and only about 10 to 20 IBUs. I've talked in the past about a pale mild. Pale mild is uh, a contentious term. seems to be mostly uh, based actually out of the bitter world as opposed to the brown ale world. Or the, so we won't talk about there. 
Uh, Rob, you asked the question, what explains the low efficiency on London brown ale, lack of healthy yeast control during the time period? Uh, no, I actually, I mean, because it's intentional, right? So it's an intentional thing that they're doing there. And I don't think you can really depend upon, you know, a lack of healthy yeast to intentionally get there. My suspicion would be a combination of grain choices and also uh, possible fermentation practices and also mashing temperatures. Maybe. It yeah. depends on the grain you use. Yep, exactly. All right. And then the other thing I thought was funny was the BGCP guidelines in 2015, which I still think of those as the new guidelines, even though they're now five years old. They did away with a distinction that had been in the in the guidelines forever and a day, which was Northern Brown versus Southern English Brown. None of us had ever had a Southern English Brown here in the States. Uh, there's a lot of argument over what makes a Northern Brown versus Southern Brown, and a lot of people think everything's confused. So they just sort of lumped everything in together into one category, which is British Brown. I'm including here a picture of what's probably the best-selling version of British Brown here in the U.S., which is Newcastle. Uh, although... Incidentally, uh, Newcastle that we get here in the States, no longer necessarily brewed in the UK. It's now being brewed by Lagunitas in Chicago, uh, since uh, Newcastle is also owned by Heineken, just like Lagunitas is. Isn't that fun? Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've read a, a, lot of, a lot of reactions from people who are up in arms about the change in character that they detect with uh, Newcastle as brewed in Lagunitas as opposed to uh, uh, back in the UK. Uh, and by the way, Newcastle is not even brewed in Newcastle anymore. So the British brown ales, they are bigger than mild, uh, but they do continue the trend of that toffee and caramel notes. Uh, there is a, a historical distinction between the idea of a brown ale versus a double brown ale. But these days, at least what we see over here in the States, it's all double brown ales. Because double browns really kind of start somewhere around the 1042 range in terms of gravities. So the BJCP category for uh, brown ale, they put it from 1040 to 1052 OG, about 4.2 to 5.4 uh, ABV. You'll notice the, on the label of Newcastle, Newcastle's 4.7, 20 to 30 IBU, so very low, but actually still higher than uh, higher than what you would think. And then 12 to 22 SRM, which actually gives a fairly broad range, which is where you get into that place where some of these things can almost be porter-like in color, if not necessarily porter-like in flavor and body. And by the way, the interesting part is if you have Newcastle, you'll you'll know it has a very distinctive character. And I suspect that one of the reasons why people don't like the Lagunitas uh, version is because the the traditional practice for making Newcastle beer or Newcastle Brown actually involved making two beers and blending them together. And I can't imagine Heineken and uh, Lagunitas are doing that as well. Remember, and we'll get into more of this when we talk about the ingredients, but British brewing practices tend to be a lot less fussy about the actual, you know, purity of ingredients. And they did a lot more technique to expand your range from your brewery. All right. So let's talk the American styles because American styles are bigger. Naturally, it's what we do. The American brown ale here, I got as an example, Breckles Brown from Anchor. This is actually the only... BJCP recognized style for the U.S. in terms of brown ale. Now, Denny, you were saying earlier uh, when we were talking that you believe there's a, a, a bit about Texas and Eugene. Well, you know, um, in Greg Noonan's Seven Barrels Brewery book, which I can't put my hands on at the moment, so I just ordered a used copy. Uh, great book. He, uh, his uh, recipe in there for Eugene Brown was the basis of my no-tie brown, since I live outside of Eugene. Uh, but he claims that the American brown style really originated in Texas and up here in Eugene. And I wish I could find the book so I could see what his basis for that was. 
but you know, I'm I'm willing to give Greg the benefit of the doubt on that one. American brand to me again starter beer for a lot of us older aficionados. And as I was saying earlier, I think a brown ale makes a really good introduction to good beer. Stats on it, 1045 to 1060. So you can see we've shifted up, right? We got that American habit of let's get a little bigger. Uh, and again, you see that in the ABVs, 4.3 to 6.2, 20 to 30 IBUs, which actually surprisingly to me is a little bit on the low side in comparison to what I normally would think. Uh, and that matches into the line of what the British Browns are doing. For me, for the American Brown, I think of it as being malty, chewy, toasty, and then mixing with that classic American hop profile, like a lot of those sea hops. Also, some of the other American varieties say like uh, uh, Willamette, so some of the more noble, uh, noblish American varieties. And this sort of American Brown is a malt-forward beer with a fair amount of hops. That's exactly the way I make mine, and that's the way I perceive it too, man. So mine comes in, oh, in the low 60s and probably around 45 IBUs. So again, the the American brown ale, it should have a fair amount of hop to it, but still shouldn't be like you're drinking an IPA. Which brings us to the next style, brown IPA. This is also in the in the BJCP guidelines as a specialty especially IPA, and it's that fine line between an IPA, a black IPA, and a brown ale. Largely, this seems to have been from or a conglomeration of the style that had been known as Texas brown ale at one point. If you look at the malts, it's basically it's a lower colored crystal, you know, so like a like a forty up to about ten percent of the grist. Use some carafa to color so you don't get that roast taste, and then you amp up the hops, but. Where the American brown ale, at least in the BGSP guidelines, is like, you know, max is out at 30, and Denny, yours, yours said at 45. This, the brown IPA guidelines tend to show it somewhere between the 50s and 60s. And that's, that's where that actually uh, lies. It is sort of a weird thing. I don't think I can actually remember the last time I saw a brown IPA. I don't think I've ever seen a brown IPA. There are a few out there, but I, uh, I haven't had one in a while. But I figured I would talk about it since, uh, of course, we IPA everything these days. <laughs> yeah last uh, last the american styles remember this is where brownie wine comes in so the imperial american brown it is big it is chewy it is less of a style and more of a philosophy because this is a very wide-ranging one uh i think bob you had mentioned earlier in the chat uh the firestone bravo there you go that was actually the picture i chose for this you want to aim for seven plus percent abv uh what brownie wine made it at 12 and uh, Bravo here, I think, is at like uh, 10 or 11 as well. Yeah, 10.2. But there's plenty of lower lower ones. In fact, some people would argue that the Janice Brown that we're about to have is a Imperial American Brown, although I think that's kind of on the fine line. No matter what, the malt in these should still sing, right? These are still malt-forward beers. You do want to keep the IBUs in line, but you're not trying to make a double IPA version of a brown. At least I don't think you are. No, Definitely. All right, let's go ahead and let's get our, our, our Janice Brown Ales open. Oh, it just went all over my computer. So this is the, the Janice Brown Ale as brewed by Russian River. Uh, this is the ninth time they've brewed it. Uh, they did make some changes from Tasty's version. We're going to go through Tasty's version in a couple minutes here. Uh, this one uses Simpson's Pale Malt instead of uh, Tasty's preferred two row, just because uh, Vinny. Oh, 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 stop, stop, stop. I have to, I have to curmudgeon it here. Okay. Simpson Simpson's pale malt is two row. Right. Instead of domestic two row. Thank you. No, instead of domestic pale malt, please. Uh-huh. Fine. 
<laughs> hey, I'm just using the terms that Vinny had used. I know, but man, that's one of those things that I hate. It just drives me crazy. Something's got to drive you crazy, and I'm happy to do it for you, buddy. Thank you. You do it well. You also, when we get to talking about the uh, the hot bill, this uses Brewer's Gold instead of Northern Brewer, which is what Tasty always wanted to use. Uh, I do think it's interesting. After talking with both Scott Janish and uh, Matt Brendelson earlier this summer, Brewer's Gold might be one of these hops that's making a comeback. You know, and if the hop fields in Yakima are any, any sign, maybe some uh, Galena too. Let's uh, let's taste this. The first thing I'm noticing is, again, this is what, 7.2%? 7. 7.35. 7. 7.35% alcohol. Uh, first note I get is I actually get that kind of a, a nice, soft, fruity hop character backed with some pininess uh, and a little bit of grapefruit. I get I get more floral vegetable than uh, than fruity, but but then even then there's still a little bit of that a little bit of that brown note that that roast and a little bit of that toffee that's even hiding out behind uh, behind those hops. And also, I think you do get a little bit of a, a fruity ester in there, not not anything over the top. Then when you get into the flavor, suddenly okay, again a big wallop of hops, right? You get the 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 bittering charge that's in there, and then when you get to the end, the end is when you start to know the, notice the centennial. You start to get that uh, that grapefruit uh, there at the very end. While yeah, uh, Chris is saying that the caramel and toffee comes up in the back end, and that's true. I think this this finishes with just a, a touch of roast character to it, and then this caramel and toffee kind of burnt sugar note, and that rides along with those hops and gets you down. But you notice, even though you got that burnt sugar slash toffee type thing going on in the back end. It's not a very sweet beer, so it finishes aggressively dry, which is one of those things I like because what that does is it means that you're ready to go for the next sip. So to me, it's very it's very interesting compared to the other versions of Janet's Brown. I mean, this is basically in line with those that I've had. I like the way the middle sits actually with a lot of malt. Other thoughts? Um, other, other what do you mean? Other malts in here? No, no, no. There's other thoughts on the beer. Oh, thoughts? I thought you said other malts. I, I, it's really good, man. Uh, I made this a couple times years ago when the recipe first came out. Wanted to try it because, in my opinion, mash hops are worthless and this uses mash hops. So I, I, I talked to Mike about that too and I said, so, uh, tell, tell me, man, do you think the mash hops are really critical? And he was like, I don't know. I've never made it any other way. So I did. I made it both with and without the mash hops, and my opinion is that there's no point on wasting your hops in the mash. There we go. Uh, Craig Wickham is noticing that there is a bready finish. Yeah, I can see that. I get that little bit of malt, a uh, little bit of malt chew in the back end. And the other thing, of course, is I always look for these beers to not have a that sweet gloppy type thing, and the way I can always tell is the fact that. After not having a sip for a couple minutes, my lips don't feel sticky. My mustache doesn't feel like it's being glued together. (laughs) So to me, that's a good sign. All right. So these are my thoughts on ingredients. Denny, kick in whenever you uh, have other thoughts. Uh, But on the malt and the mash front, uh, you are trying to build layers of malt flavor in here. So I always argue that you want to use a solid pale malt as your foundation, which is the reason why, uh, for instance, Vinny chose to go with the Simpsons because he likes that Simpsons pale malt character better than, you know, what you find in a lot of domestic pails. 
And I've been I've been using uh, MechaGrade, both the uh, Lamanta and Metolius in mine. And then this is also the time that you bust out the those crystal molds. You guys know me. I usually have a a bias against crystal and caramel molds, but in this case, I do think you want some. Uh, and when I talked to Vinny at Russian River about this, he he also said that he prefers the higher kiln crystal malts in this rather than sort of the more stewed caramel malts. As and that was his opinion on on why he went for uh, the crystal malts he did. A touch of roast to give you uh, to give you the color. So I like again you mix that lower lower level on crystal with a touch of roast in order to give you more brown. You guys will know if you want to make a red, you use a very small amount of black malt. Here you're going to use more. If you're trying to make something that is more traditionally British, you would use things like invert syrup. So we've talked about invert syrup in the past. You'd use uh, some of these uh, darker British invert syrups to to make these things to give it some coloring. Uh, brown sugar is not all that uncommon. And also uh, because, again, remember I said the British are not very uh, fussy about what goes into their mash tun. Uh, they also would use the, a bunch of flaked maize to make these things. And thankfully also because these beers are British in origin, at least the ones that we're talking about, it's single infusion all day and nobody can give you any crap for it. Good, a good way to be lazy. I don't. I, I don't use any roast. I have to admit, uh, but that doesn't mean that you can't or shouldn't. Well, I think you use chocolate malt, right? Yeah, yeah. So a touch a touch of roasted malt. Oh, okay. I th- I, yeah. On the water front, uh, some uh, Bernard, you were asking about water chemistry earlier. I I prefer a more chloride forward water for a brown ale because again, I want to build up some of that malty character. I want I want to emphasize that. I would also say don't be afraid of the minerality because. British brewers tend to push to much, much higher levels of minerals than American brewers. We've talked about this before. And it can be part of why you traditional British ales, you will find to the American palate, there's a a, a dry, astringent twang almost. Um, so they they push for harder minerals than we do. Uh, but don't be don't really be afraid of it. I've included three examples of what brewing water gives you for water profiles for what I consider to be appropriate for an American brown or for a brown ale in general. And to me that's like the brown balance style. And you will notice there the chloride to sulfite ratio is almost pretty much spot on one to one. the brown balance has a little more sulfate than than chloride. But if you go and you compare that to say London or the mild ale uh, water profiles, You'll see that those get even more balanced to the chloride side, particularly the mild ale really builds up that chloride level uh, 65 to 40, right? Nicholas, you're saying that you do brown with a filtered Northeast LA water. Yep. Uh, I think LA water does a lot of good with a brown ale. It has a fair amount of uh, uh, carbonates in it and, and does pretty uh, does pretty well to balance everything. Denny, you have your well. Do you do anything to your water? Yeah, I do. Um, I... Uh for for a dark beer like this i need i definitely need to do something in my water uh let me see here i off the top of my head uh i think it's uh, a little bit of calcium chloride a little bit of gypsum and a little bit of baking soda is pretty much does it except for the last one when i really dick chimped uh, the the water profile and ended up putting uh, both pickling lime and uh, and lactic acid into it <laughs> Yeah, I think that uh, that would uh, be well, kind of contradicting each other. Yeah, well, that's because the lactic acid was hidden in a cell way down at the end of the sheet, and I didn't realize it was there, and so I kept having to add pickling lime to uh, counteract the acidity from it. There you go. And then suddenly too much calcium and everything else. All right. Yeah. So 
Looking at the hops, don't get too loose-handed with the hops. Remember that uh, the malt is still actually the nominal star of the show here. Uh, you will see in the recipes that we're going to review that traditional hop schemes do abound. So, whereas with IPAs nowadays, a lot of people are like, I'm going to push the hops as late as I can into everything. Uh, we don't tend to do that with a brown ale. So, use a nice firm bittering addition. And with the Americans, layer in the layer in your hops. Uh the, in terms of varieties, as we said earlier, you know, like the English beers would all use those kind of classical uh, Fuggles and Goldings, although Denny would never use a Fuggle anywhere near anything. <laughs> I'm I'm changing my mind after experiencing Cluster Fugget. There you go. Although that, that is American Fuggles, which I think is more related to Goldings anyway. Yep. Um, and and then on the American side, a lot of uh, a lot of those sort of older school varieties, you know, your your Cascades, even your Centennials, Crystal, Brewer's Gold, as Vinny was using, Northern Brewer. Uh, Willamette. Willamette. Willamette and mine, man. Yeah. Uh, Willamette and Mount Hood would both go very well in a, in a brown ale. And again, what it is a lot of times when you're making these brown ales, you're trying to push, you're trying to push a good, solid, layered hop character, but without necessarily going... You know what? I put strata in this so it could taste like it's been sitting in a rum coconut barrel for uh, two years. Uh, that's not typically what you would do with a brown ale. Other thoughts, Denny, other than Willamette? Uh, no, I would say, I mean, for my taste and for the way I envision an American brown ale to be, I would just say avoid any of the fruity hops and stick with the old uh, herbal floralish ones. Maybe maybe a little piney. Sometimes maybe a little citra. Or uh, not citra, citrus. Well, and. I mean, in, in mine, I do a flame out edition of Chinook, you know. So, yeah, I I can't see Citra in here, man. But again, that's for my tastes. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, I, I corrected myself. So, citrus, like you know, like a little bit of centennial type character, like that's what's here in the Jans yeah. Brown. Last or uh, uh, one of the last places we'll go on the yeast front. What yeast strain you choose is going to be all dependent upon what you want out of the beer. Do you want a clean beer? Then you can use something like, you know, say 1056 and uh, 001, uh, or uh, one of my favorites actually in a brown ale is 1272, which is the American Ale 2 from Y East. Uh, Denny, of course, has his preference. Uh, yeah. And then uh, for fruitier styles where I really want to kind of push a British character, I'm a big fan of the Y East Tim's Valley or the White Labs Essex Ale. Uh, Essex Ale is a little bit harder to come by, but uh, Tim's Valley is actually a really good yeast. And then I would also say, and this is going to be unsurprising to anybody who knows me, if you're going to do this, I would I would encourage people to do open fermentation. Do some open fermentation. Try and push a little bit more of that uh, those softer yeast characters into you know into the beer. Uh, and this is particularly true if you're using any of the British strains. Uh, Denny, any thoughts that don't involve fourteen fifty? <laughs> Well, again, you know, um, for American styles, I would just say keep it clean. Uh, 1272 is a, is a really good yeast. Uh, doesn't get enough love. Uh, that was kind of my go-to yeast before I ran across 1450. And, and remind me, 1272 is, in theory, Anchor Liberty, I think? Uh, that's the rumor. Yeah, in theory. Uh, so Gavin's asking on the Janice Brown, uh, great head retention. Is the carbonation typical for an American brown ale? I would say yes. Uh, did Russian River open ferment this? I don't know. I would doubt it, huh? Well, I mean, they have open fermentation uh, vessels. Yeah, I, I know, but... As I had said earlier, additional flavors uh, do work really well against brown ales, I think, because you have all these different notes that you can play off of, and it's so a very sturdy base. 
We talked about uh, nuts and particularly the hazelnut from uh, Rogue. Uh, if you're not going to want to do an extract, uh, my suggestion would be go make your own extract. <laughs> because the biggest thing that you need to do with nuts is get rid of the fat. Uh, so you can follow my tincture uh, notes to actually learn how to do that. Fruit, obviously, we've all seen a massive ton of fruited brown ales. I think we've seen a massive ton of fruited everything. I would think like a nice dark berry actually would go up very well against a brown ale. I would also have some fun doing something like raisins, although I would only do raisins with a stronger brown ale. Uh, I've also seen chili brown ales out there and obviously other herbs and spices. Uh, Somebody, and I can't remember who, made a taco brown ale. uh, (laughs) Because why not? Of course they did. Yep. Um, And then the other one I also really like particularly if you're going to go on the stronger side of things, is a little bit of vanilla. Uh, a little bit of vanilla in a brown ale can actually be a really, really wonderful thing. So just my word of caution, though, is be careful about how much vanilla you put in there because a little vanilla goes a long way. But I think if you put vanilla in here, you would you would push a lot of chocolate flavors and things would kind of become more of a um, uh, more of a traditional dessert type thing. And, uh, yeah, Eric is saying that apparently in Texas, taco beers are a thing. Yes, that's true. That's true. We had one, huh? Yep. Remember when Greg made? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Well, I, I don't know if I'd go as far as good, but it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely interesting. Um, all right, so let's take a look at a couple of recipes, uh, and then we'll get to your questions, and we'll uh, we'll get you on your way. Uh so the first recipe here, this is one that I've made for years here in the club, uh, CGJK Mild. So this was uh, uh, Cullen. We first made this at, what, a Mayfair? Or was it an Oktoberfest? It was one of the fasts um, at uh, Aqua Dulce. We, we broke out the, the brewing gear. We took it up there, and we made a mild ale while we were having a festival party. And I still make this beer to this day because I like having this on tap as just something to drink when I want to have something to drink, but I don't want to get silly. And this is five and a half gallons. The OG on it's 1037, 1038 at the maximum, 13 IBUs, 16 SRM, three and a half percent alcohol with a 60 minute boil. The grist is actually, I would probably, I, I, you know, if I if I weren't just such a fan of this beer, I'd probably go and simplify this a little bit. But it's at one of those points where it's kind of like it's don't uh, it's not broke, so don't fix it. Uh, it's six and three quarters pounds of Maris Otter, a half a pound of flaked oats, quarter pound of Crystal One Fifty, two ounces each of Carafa Two Dehust, and roasted barley. Single infusion mash One Fifty Two for sixty minutes. And now this is one of the keys, because I see this a lot when I see other homebrew mild recipes, at least from American brewers, be super careful with the hops. So I've actually changed this over the years. Sometimes I actually even go lower on the bittering edition. The recipe calls for 0.25 ounces of Target at 10.6 alpha acid for 60 minutes. I've actually done that sometimes as an eighth of an ounce, uh, depending upon what the hop is and where I'm going. And then an eighth of an ounce of something like Challenger, Six and a half alpha acid for 30 minutes. No flame out additions, no back end additions at all. And then, like I said before, I like to ferment this with either Tim's Valley or Essex. You can also use the Cal Ale Chico uh, complex on it. It works perfectly well that way. But again, the biggest thing I see for a lot of homebrewers when they're making a mild, that hop bill is usually two to three times the size of what I'm calling for here, which does not work as well, I think, for a mild. 
Now, if I was going to try and make something that was like a little more traditionally British, I'd probably get rid of the oats and I would probably, I'd probably add like an invert syrup in there, like one of the darker inverts, like an invert three, you know, just to really sort of push the, push the Britishness of it. But I'm telling you guys, this works as a, as a beer just to have. And those of you all been to the festivals and have encountered it, uh, definitely, definitely know that this is a fine drinker to keep you moving through the day. Uh, Colin says, uh, didn't we make a barley wine brown uh, mild party guile batch? We did, like 18 years ago, which is sort of terrifying. Um, Bruce is asking, does anyone make a brown ale with hemp like Humboldt Brewing? Uh, I haven't seen one in, a, in forever in a damn day. Smoke a joint, drink a beer. Well, no, not, 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 not a THC beer, but hemp beer, using hemp seeds and all that. Yeah, uh, no, I never have because the ones I had were strictly gimmicky to me, and uh, hemp didn't add anything, so I haven't done it. Uh, so let's talk the Janet's Brown recipe. So again, this is what we're drinking, modified obviously for Russian rivers, as we stated before. Six gallons, ten forty-seven OG, seven point three percent ABV, and a sixty-minute boil. Uh, Tasty called for 13 and three quarters pounds of pale malt. In his case, it was domestic two row. In the Russian River case, it's the Simpsons pale. Uh, One and a half pounds of dextrin malt, which gives you that big old chewy body. Uh, One and quarter pounds of crystal 40. One pound of wheat malt. A half a pound of chocolate malt at a 350 Levabon. And a half a pound of corn sugar. So one of the things I think is interesting and funny here is that you got that one and a half pounds of dextrin sort of giving you more mid body, so more uh, more retention of these long chain things, and then you've got the corn sugar in the back end that's kind of cutting out the back. So it's an interesting stylistic choice there. Single infusion. Now, Tasty's homebrew recipe called for a single infusion of thirty minutes, which we've talked about in the past is a as a thing that most homebrewers can get away with at one hundred fifty four degrees Fahrenheit, and then mash out at one seventy. Now, the place where this becomes a very American recipe, other than the gravity, is in this hopping bill. Tasty's hopping bill calls for an ounce and a half of Northern Brewer and mash, an ounce and a half of Northern Brewer for 60 minutes, an ounce of Northern Brewer for 15 minutes, an ounce and a half of Cascade for 10 minutes, two ounces of Cascade in a hop back at zero minutes, and then finally, two ounces of Centennial as a dry hop and ferment with Cal Ale. And there are so many things about this that scream... American brewing recipe. Yeah. And of course, the other thing I think is funny is I think all of us as brewers will take a look at somebody's recipe like this and go, Oh, I know what I'd change. Uh, <laughs> but as you're, as you're tasting here, it does make a pretty tasty beer. The last recipe. Hey, it's Denise. No tie Brown. You want to talk about it, bud? Hey, uh, sure. A bit. This was, this was uh, the first beer that I ever won any kind of award for uh, many, many years ago. So it kind of, set me off making make thinking I could brew. This is like a, a, a version of the recipe that's a little bit different but it's in it's in the uh, general area of what I'm still doing a uh, pale malt base. Uh, I use uh, crystal 60 instead of 55 these days because it's easier to find. Uh Munich, uh, both the pale malt and the Munich are from Mecca grade. Uh, chocolate malt, I use the uh, castle chocolate in it because it's got a really nice, not too intense flavor to it. Uh, there's a hop edition that I didn't get. This was back when I was trying to cut down on the number of hop editions. As I mentioned, this was uh, 
drawn from Greg Noonan's uh, Eugene Brown. He has hops in every 15 minutes. And the, the latest batch I just made, I did that. The uh, the original Willamette's got divided between 90 and 60. And then it goes 60, 45. Uh, in place of Galena, which I'm having a hard time finding these days, I use Columbus. But then there's Willamette at the end. And uh, Chinook at Flameout, and I have done this with the Michigan Chinook that have a really nice pineapple character to them, and it works really, really well for that. Uh, 1450 gives it a great mouthfeel. Uh, 1056 works well, and uh, I would say if I wasn't going to be using 1450, I'd go for 1272. There we go. And Denny, you said for your water chemistry, you're doing a little bit of gypsum, a little bit of uh, chloride, and a little bit of baking soda, right? Yeah, because I gotta, I gotta pull the pH up. So I, I, because I need so little, I'm using baking soda, and that gives me, uh, uh, you know, some sodium in there too, which kind of aids the sweetness factor of the beer. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this look at the fuddy-duddy beer that is brown ale. Embrace the old man status. Embrace the malt. Embrace the warm hug. Now go, make the brown ale your own. Remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at ESP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Click the AHA, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is the World Central Kitchen. That's right, we're still supporting Jose Andreas's uh, charity effort, so go give a buck, please. Until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. This episode is brought to you by Brewers Publications, publisher of historical brewing techniques, the lost art of farmhouse brewing. Purchase your copy of historical brewing techniques at brewerspublications.com. Brewers Publications.